Hello and welcome into another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast. We have a lightly packed show for you today. We'll have a little bit of what's popping. We will have a review of the current Oscar Best Picture frontrunner Nomadland directed by Chloe Zhao starring Francis McDormand. And our Game Master Kirk is back at it again with another game, this time based on the movie Nomadland, only it's called No Bandland. So we got no time to waste. Let's jump right into it. joining us on another episode of Popcorn for Breakfast, episode 61 of Popcorn for Breakfast. For those of you scoring at home, wow! with your lovely, wonderful co-host, Kirk. Hello, hello. I am your other co-host, Cam. Thank you for being here with us today. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, we are so thrilled to have you. Um, We are on a bit of a tight turnaround. This is like the equivalent of doing a back-to-back in the NBA. We had a we had an episode at the end of last week on Friday, and we're back at it on, on Tuesday because, you know, we just love movies. We just love it. We are professionals, and there is no rest. That's that is right. what it comes down to. There's no rest. There's no rest. So we uh, reloaded with a new movie this week, another Oscar contender. We're on a good run here. It is award season after all. So three weeks running, we had Promising Young Woman. Then Judas and the Black Messiah, and now Nomadland, all of which, um, you know, have been in that conversation and are getting, you know, attention from the various awards committees. So we're on a good roll here, Kirk. Yeah, I can't, but it's still so weird. It's still so weird to be <laughs> seeing these movies uh, streaming. It's nice and comfortable, it is. but it's so weird at the same time. It is very weird. We can only hope that there are greener pastures ahead. I'm looking forward to the future with vaccines and all of the science and all of the good things that will be coming being back in movie theaters it's something i dream about all the time having like good exciting movies to watch like we've gotten a ton of indie flavor which is good i love a little indie in my life i I love uh low budget movies i'm a big fan Mm-hmm. But, like, we've gotten so much of that <laughs> this year. Like, so, so much of that. So it's, like, kind of getting kind of getting weary of it. So it feels like there's a light at the end of the tunnel. It's just taking a really long time to get here. Yeah, that's a good point. It's gonna. It's the year of the indie film for sure because, obviously, your, sca- your sets have to be scaled back for safety <laughs> precautions. We're going to look at the list of, of best picture wins, uh, like, 10 years from now and be like, why did that indie picture? W- oh, <laughs> COVID. Yeah, that was the COVID year. I know. It's <laughs> it's an interesting thing. And, like, I feel similarly. Like, I feel weary about indie films, but I feel, we- like, weary just in general. Like, I'm just so tired of this whole thing. I'm, like, tired today. I feel like today was, like, the Tuesdayest Tuesday <laughs> in the history of Tuesdays. Like, <laughs> That's honestly what I've been what's been running through my head all day is like, wow, what a Tuesday this really is. Yes. Uh, someone at my work, they said, man, 
it feels like it should be Thursday. I can't believe it's only Tuesday. <laughs> Unreal. I know. When that I, I have long said that Tuesday is the worst day of the week. And I understand that like Monday is the obvious choice. And for good reason. Going in on Monday sucks. That's like universally <laughs> known. We all know that. It's just a thing. It doesn't matter if you love your job or you hate your job. It just is not good. Tuesday, though, is a toughie. It's a toughie. Yeah. I feel like at least on Mondays, it's like, all right, I got to do this. Uh, I'm going to get stuff done. And everyone's like locked in. Yes. You don't really talk to anyone on Monday. You it's have just the like. Hope. You have the hope factor of a productive week. Yes. But then it, by it, Tuesday, it's all gone to hell. <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh, yeah, this is what happens in reality. This is this is like things quickly deteriorate into madness. And now I'm focusing on things that I didn't even think I'd be working on. Right, right. Because on Monday, you really do get a lot done if you're focused enough. And then you're like, oh, it's like Monday part two. Because like, what what was yesterday for if I've got all this stuff to do I on know. Tuesday, right? So. I know, man. It's a, it's a bummer. And here's what I've got going on at home. Every person in my house has a cold except for me. So oh. the walls are closing in around me. It was, the, it was the little baby first, then the two-year-old, then my wife. And I am just on the chopping block. I'm like, every day I wake up and I'm like, captain's log, day five. Morale is low. <laughs> We're running out of food. <laughs> you know, just like lone surviving <laughs> over here. And I just, I cannot go down. Because yeah, having a cold is terrible. It's not like the worst thing in the world. But it's just, it's like, it also kind of is. Because it's like never bad enough to where you like, cannot work but it's bad enough to make your work day just horrible yep, yep um and it makes you not sleep and stuff so it is it is pretty bad but also just like being sick like during covid when you're trapped at home anyway is like such a downer so i have mm. no interest in that at all yeah listeners uh cam has actually not left his podcast room for the past 48 hours yeah. this is this is just him in, in his natural habitat. Um, <laughs> that's, that's right. There's a I'm, bucket in the corner. There, <laughs> food gets delivered. Uh, DoorDash has the keys to his house, <laughs> and they just slip it right down next to him. It's it's some hard times out here. Ever since Cam. we recorded Spilled Popcorn Episode 6, this is where I've been sitting, right yes. in this chair. And I'm quarantining within the quarantine. It's, quarant <laughs> it's quarantine-ception right now in my, <laughs> in my house. <laughs> so it's really it's really not fun. And here on top of that, um, let me, since you're a parent, you'll, this, uh, this following phrase will strike fear into your heart. Um, two year sleep regression. Does that ring a bell? Oh, it absolutely does. Oh man. Marshall is in it right now where like, for those of you who are not in the parenting world, there's this really cool thing, um, that I had no idea was a thing. Um, when I went into parenting and had I known, I might've reconsidered, I don't know. <laughs> um, but there's these things called sleep regressions, which is uh, every once in a while your kid like reaches a new brain download operating system, like achievement unlocked type thing. And they're like so wired that it causes them to not sleep as much as they used to because their brain is just like, zzz, you know, um, and it happens at like six months. It happens at 12. Like it happens a lot. 
and then it happens at two years. Now, the difference is at six months, they don't really sleep very well anyway. And like the same right, right. at 12 months. But at two years, you're pretty like well into your routine. So he woke up at 1.30 last night, climbed out of his crib and into my bed. And I was like, no. <laughs> Hard pass. Hard Ouch. pass on that. Uh, so that's brutal. It's absolutely brutal. Yeah, it really is terrible. You're exactly right. It's it's as if someone plugged into him in the, in the Matrix. <laughs> yes, exactly. The back it's of his exactly skull that. and says, "Climb crib." I know it's insane, and it's like, here's the thing about kids: is like, they. It's not that like so so they always change, right? As soon as you get comfortable with a routine. You'll, you'll be in that routine for another two weeks after you feel totally comfortable, and then they totally flip the script on you. Mm-hmm. Where it's like, oh, you, you thought that was cool? You started to get in your routine around that? Well, try this on for size. Now I'm going <laughs> to climb out of my crib and bust into your room in the middle of the night. It's like, okay, I guess we're dealing with this. So then you have to replan your whole life. For, it's just chaos. It's chaos. Yes, un- unexpected joys of parenting. <laughs> yeah, that's one way to put it. Sleep That's regression, uh, the next film script by Popcorn for Breakfast. I'm not kidding. The term sleep regression now gives me goosebumps. Like it's it gives me it gives me fear goosebumps. I'm just like, that's like what if, my trigger word. What if the movie is just called regression and it's a <laughs> horror film? It's it's a I'm horror film. It You're laying in your bed like the it's just like paranormal activity style, and something's walking into the room, and it's tiny, and it's gonna come into your room. It's going to wake you up and then it's going to pee in your bed and you're going to wake up covered in pee. (laughs) And what's worse, it's going to be work day and it's going to be like 6 a.m. Yeah, (laughs) that is a horror story. That is that is there is no movie concept that's scarier than that right there. Peeing in your bed (laughs) at 2 a.m. Got it. Got it. Jim Gaffigan has a great joke about that where he's like. Me and my wife have an open door policy, which means uh, if our kids have a nightmare, they can come into our room and pee in our bed. <laughs> I'm like, that is so true, man. That That is, he, he gets it. He gets it. Um, okay, back to real things about movies. Sorry to bring you into my own personal hellscape. Um, this is our therapy session. Yeah, it is. Uh, so. it, is, it, is, it, is it is exactly that. Um, we don't have what's popping really this week. We have like a little bitty bit because, again, we're on quick turnaround and like, Really no movie news has happened between Friday and now, surprisingly. Like, there's just not that much. Um, I will say, we posted it on social. This is not movie news, but it is really, really interesting. Um, Vanity Fair posted an article. They spent some time with Zack Snyder as the Snyder Cut is approaching on March 18th, and they sort of got the full download on his experience with justice league and how that all went down and what's going on with the release of the snyder cut movement and all of that um if you get a chance to read it it's long it's like a full spread but it's really well written and it gives a really good insight into the whole situation going on there which sounds like every bit as much a mess as we thought dc was plus some like it's Mm -hmm. If, if And again, it's only one person's side of the story. Like, this is the Zack Snyder side of the story. So, like, take it for what you will. But it is the closest we've gotten to a real story from the inside of that thing. So, it is, uh, 
it's pretty interesting. And I have to say, Kirk, after reading it, I'm slightly more excited for the Snyder Cut. But also, if the Snyder Cut sucks, it's going to be a death blow. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. I don't know who wins. I, I don't know who wins in this scenario to begin with. Like, if it's good, Warner loses, right? Mm-hmm. Because Zack Snyder said he's not coming back. So if it's good, then it's like, it's like A, Warner handcuffs Zack Snyder. B, they, by doing so, they lost him. And C, like, this is the best DC movie they've had, let's just say. And now they have no chance of recreating that. Yeah, it's, I mean, they'll be used to it, right? Because every DC movie is (laughs) lose-lose. Well, yeah, (laughs) but it would. If it's if it's bad, Zach loses and DC loses. Like DC in no way wins this. I don't think. In either way, no, they don't. They don't in either scenario. Uh, zero sum game for them. Yeah, I I kind of I am kind of rooting for him as well. I don't think he's that great, but I I think uh, you know also you know skimming that article, it was too long for me to read. Uh, so I have not <laughs> I have not finished it yet. Uh, just full disclosure. There, I know you have an aversion to reading, so that's okay. If you could like uh, give me like a video skit of what happens in that and record it and send it to me, that would be great. I'd really appreciate that. Yeah. I just think that it's it's fascinating because when I think of all the all the dirt that's over there in, in DC camp after looking at that, it's like, man, are others going to come forward? Are we going to get like uh, like testimonies and, and what? What is the um, uh, the magnetism that draws these people, this the trauma that they are experiencing over at DC, to not speak up about it? Uh, only but a, f- a very uh, small group, and then people don't even really believe them. They really think it's just a bad experience. It's it's, it's crazy. Well, and it's bizarre too because you hear totally different accounts um, from anybody who's worked with Warner, like. You got Chris Nolan and Denis Villeneuve and guys like that saying, yeah. oh my gosh, Warner is the the top of the peak. Like they are the studio you want to work with. They are so great. And then you look at like what's going on with DC and it's like a masterclass in how not to run a film studio. Like you've got, they're like putting Jeff Johns and John Berg on set to basically like babysit their director's they did the whole Joss Whedon thing and let him like have the keys to this movie that was like somebody else's movie. And like, that's a whole mess. They like ticked off Ray Fisher. They ticked off all these other actors. I'm like, Holy crap. What a disaster. Um, so it, it, it's just so weird. And I think, but it did, it did bring a lot of things into focus too. Right? Like that, like all the stuff that I think people, expected was actually going on by the sounds of it like that whole they hired Zack Snyder to do DC because DC is a more serious uh, deeper darker brand of comics than um, Marvel and they had Mm -hmm. had success with that with the Chris Nolan Dark Knight trilogy and they were like okay this is our brand this is what we're going to do what we're going to do Zack is the guy to take us there um but they just couldn't quite get a formula right there. And so then they pulled the escape hatch and they're like, this is an emergency. We need to be like Marvel. They have a winning formula. We need to be lighter. We need to be funnier. We need to be, you know, crowd pleasers. That's what we need to be. We need to be crowd pleasers. 
Um, and that just, like, that did not work. That did not work because Zack Snyder was just never going to be able to do that. It's not his style. He is like a, he's a visionary type of guy. He, he wants to inject a ton of emotion and depth into his stuff. And so I just think from that point, it was disaster, just total mm-hmm. disaster. And that was visible to the naked eye, which is so crazy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's going to be a bloodbath either way. I, I really I am rooting for this thing uh, after the trailer, as we as we've discussed. It looks promising, uh, as crazy as that sounds to come out of my mouth. So, I have to I have to agree, and it's it's at least going to be extremely interesting. Um, four hours of interesting. Yeah, four four long hours of interesting. So strap in, get your diapers. It's going to be. It's going to be go time. Um, a couple other interesting things from that article. Uh, Zack Snyder's never seen the Justice League. <laughs> he, has, he, has not, he has refused to watch it. Apparently, Chris Nolan and um, Zack Snyder's wife, Deborah, who is like his production partner, um, both saw it, like went to the premiere or went to like the first screening before the premiere. And they like came back to Zack and they were like, you cannot watch this movie. It will devastate you. Um, so wow. that, that was an interesting nugget. And then um, another interesting nugget, he's, he's working on this movie that comes out on Netflix called Army of the Dead on, on actually my birthday, May 21st. And uh, that seems cool. <laughs> like <laughs> I'm, I'm, I didn't know much about that. Like I had seen the posters and stuff like that, but that seems pretty cool and netflix is trying to make it into like a big giant zombie franchise so um Mm. color me interested on that front what if this is the turning point for Zack snyder that he becomes everyone's favorite director it would be cool he's apparently a really nice guy i mean nobody has any ill words to say about him and i think part of the reason that the joss whedon thing became such a disaster is because the cast was so loyal to Zack snyder I think mm-hmm. that was a big part of it. And like that only happens when you're a pretty decent guy. So interesting. Interesting. I want to meet him now. Uh, we'll pull up a chair for Zach. Uh, just let us know when you want to stop by and, and spill the tea. Absolutely. We're ready for you. Anytime, anytime. Okay. Well, let's, uh, let's jump into our one. What's popping. I think it's an interesting one. So we'll spend a little bit of time on it. Okay. We're still talking superheroes, guys, because the only news that happens on slow weeks is still superhero news. That's the <laughs> only stuff that keeps moving. This is a funny one. Um, this is hot off the presses, too. Today, Tom Holland posted on Instagram what we believed for a moment was the title of what we've been calling Spider-Man 3 for over a year now. Uh, <laughs> we know that it will not be called Spider-Man 3 we know that it will be called Spider-Man something. Um, and what he posted was a logo that said Spider-Man phone home. And all the outlets picked it up. Rotten Tomatoes, uh, you know, like AP, like all these guys were like, the official title was is Spider-Man phone home. Well, then um, at the same time, almost exactly at the same time, Jacob um, Battle... How do you pronounce his last name? Battalion. 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 I always say Battalion. I don't know if that's correct. So I apologize, Jacob, if, it, if that's incorrect and I'll correct it for the future. He posted Instagram with the logo that said Spider-Man Home Wrecker. 
And then a few minutes later, Zendaya got in on the action um, by posting a logo that said Spider-Man Home Slice. <laughs> so <laughs> what we originally thought was the title was Spider-Man Phone Home, which I was going to punch a computer screen if that was the case because I thought that was the dumbest title I've ever heard in my entire life. Yes. Um, then it was Home Record. Then it was Home Slice. Each, each Instagram post also featured a picture of the trio, uh, Peter Parker, Ned, and uh, MJ, and were basically our first looks at the new Spider-Man movie, though not super revealing. So here's what we're going to do first. We're going to talk about, we're going to power rank the three titles that they gave <laughs> us. If those were the ones we had to work with, what, what's the order that you would put them in? Okay, so that's one. Got it. And then we're going to tell, we're going to give what we think the title should be or some ideas for what the title should oh, be. Oh, okay. Okay. And I can go first because I thought of at least one that we, can, <laughs> okay. that we can chat about. Okay. So, first of all, here's our options for power rankings we've got Phone Home, which I just said was the worst. So, you can bet that's going to be at the bottom of my list. Um, Spider Man Home Wrecker and then Spider Man Home Slice. All right. One through three, or three through one, if you want to be dramatic about it. What's your what's your ranking, Kirk? My ranking, um, because of the the consistent pizza um, theme and Peter okay. Parker's uh, world, I would say that, that is the number one choice. Uh, home slice. It makes the most sense. Yep. If if we were being uh, real, it makes a terrible title as well, but <laughs> it makes the most sense. <laughs> um, then home wrecker, then phone home. Yep, I would go. I would switch home slice and home wrecker, but I would go. So I'd go home wrecker, home slice, and then phone home. Only because I feel like home wrecker makes me really intrigued as to what the plot of that movie would be, and I just it's a must see at that point. Dude, what if it really is one of those three, and they're gonna be like, "There's ding, no ding, way, ding. right? Is there any way? Is there I don't any know. way?" Or I mean. It's clever because, right, because the first two had the word home in them in some place in the title. So, yeah, that's the whole gimmick. So what what would it be? Homeward Bound? I don't know. Like, that that's my pick, by the way. Spider-Man Homeward Spider Bound. Spider-Man Homeward Bound. That's a good one. Okay, yeah, let's dream up some titles here. Let's dream up. Um, I've got Spider-Man Homesick. Ooh. Got that one. Um, thinking maybe if things get, like, if things get like Spider Versey and he ends up in a different world, you know, or something, it could oh, be. That's so good. He's trying to get back. Um, How about uh, Spider Man Home on the Range is my next. Home uh, on the <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. It's like a western. <laughs> that could be cool. Hey, Marvel Comics has ventured into the West many times. They got Kid Colt. They've got a couple of uh, cowboy esque Arizona Kid. Um, I think is one of them too. So they've got a few western. That could be cool. Yes. Uh, Spider-Man Home Sweet Home. I did see somebody say Home Sweet Home a while back. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's a good one, but it doesn't directly kind of like lead to like what that would be, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. What other ones? Uh, Spider-Man 3 Homestead would be another one. <laughs> oh, I saw Brandon Davis from... Uh, it was either Brandon Davis or Daniel Reitman from comicbook.com. One of them posted uh, Spider-Man uh, Home Worlds. That was interesting. 
Because again, if you're going with like the, everybody's assuming that it's going to be a multiverse thing. So they're all trying to like work the title around that. Um, I don't know. I don't know what else it could be. What about um, psychometric? The word home is squeezed in there. Spider-Man psychometric. Um, <laughs> I just, just, there was a rumor floating around over the weekend that it was going to be Spider-Man home Mephisto. <laughs> <laughs> like, no. <laughs> that, that would be an all-time terrible title. And like the person who posted it, there it was picked up by a couple of different like rumor rumor instagram accounts and stuff like that and they're like no no this is for sure it and that's the reason we don't have the title yet is because they're waiting for mephisto to be revealed in wandavision (laughs) because they don't want to like ruin this i was like zero percent chance i would put tons of money on that not being the title i agree how about uh this one's right uh, spider-man homeostasis uh Mm, because homeostasis as I've just now Googled in this very moment, is the tendency toward a relatively stable equilibrium between interdependent elements, especially as maintained by psychological processes. Mm. I think we just cracked the code, everybody. Homeostasis. Homeostasis. You heard it here first. (laughs) Um, Well, we may not have to wait too long to hear about the title because, Kirk, Tom Holland is on Fallon tonight. And he's on, he's on the tonight show with Jimmy Fallon. Um, Given the fact that we got coordinated Instagram posts from our three leads uh, from the Spider-Man movie, and given the fact that we've heard nothing about this movie that is releasing later this year, um, this could be our first look at... Well, I don't want to get greedy, but I think we'll probably get the title tonight. And maybe a teaser? Do you think we can get a teaser? What if it's a surprise full trailer? No way, bro. Spider-Man Homebodies. That's the the name. That's the title. Well, like, okay, so they started filming towards the end of 2020, I think, if if I'm remembering correctly. And if this thing is in theaters December of this year, I think that's when it's slotted, they have to be closer than they're letting on. Right? Just, like, from I mean, a production schedule standpoint? I would think so. Um, but, I mean, there's, like, a gajillion people in this movie. There are. Uh, unbeknownst to Tom Holland, but there are. <laughs> Tom Holland, every scene in Tom Holland, he just goes to like some warehouse in in uh, Atlanta, Georgia and films everything in front of a green screen. That's just it. That's his whole like they're like, you cannot know. Uh, we won't even we won't even tell you the real lines. You're going to have to we're going to give you the lines. They're going to be backwards and then we're going to reverse the film so that you're saying it the right way. Like that's yes. how they have to lock it down. I would love that. I would absolutely love that. <laughs> well, it'll be interesting. I've actually, I've got my iPad right here. Um, I am watching some terrible local television, eagerly awaiting Jimmy Fallon uh, coming on. So if at some point during the show, Fallon comes on and Tom Holland's on there, I will have my eyes glued to this and I will report it live, even though this isn't live. I will just, mm-hmm. I'll just say it right here. Um, so fingers crossed everybody fingers crossed let's see what we get all right that's it that's literally it for what's popping so we'll pop it up one more time oh man you know what's really funny um (laughs) i was listening this is a meta moment breaking the fourth wall just like wandavision this week um i was listening back to the recording and while i was editing i edited out the pops 
from last episode. I don't even know how I did that. But if you listen to our last episode, I'm like, all right, let's do what's popping. And then it's five seconds of dead air while we wait. Well, we wait for the pops, <laughs> and, it's, and then I come back in. It sounds like the most weird, bizarre thing ever. And then again at the end, I was like, how did I even do that? So it's such an odd thing. Incredible. Um, I know. It really is. It actually, it actually was pretty funny, I think. So <laughs> it's probably only funny to me because I know what happened. Everybody else is just like, like what did they do there? To my app? Like, not where, I don't know what's going on. Um, okay. Shifting gears. We're reviewing an Oscar frontrunner. I've said it a thousand times. Oscar frontrunner, Nomad Land, starring Francis McDormand, directed by Chloe Zhao. Kirk, you are on Synopsis Duty this week. Hit us with it. Yes, yes. Um, I think the last time I had to synopsis, I just straight up read the IMDb synopsis because I was worried about giving too much away. I'm going to do a similar thing. um, But here's the reason why I'm doing it this time, because as I was refreshing myself on the, the full scope of this film, I was like, you know, like what, what, what does IMDb think it is? And I read it incorrectly. Um, So I'm going to read it incorrectly and then I'm going to correct myself after that. So stay tuned for this. I think I'm tracking. Okay, cool. After losing everything in the Great Depression, a woman embarks on a journey through the American West, living as a van-dwelling modern-day nomad. You see, I read that as the Great Depression. Depression, which would make it It, a period piece. (laughs) It is not. It is not. It is uh, during the Great Recession, as in 2008, 2009, 2010-ish. And, man, I tell you, I was like, so I had watched most of the movie when I read the <laughs> synopsis and I'm like, Oh man, I missed the mark. I am analyzing this completely wrong. I'm in the wrong era. And I started watching it and I was like, no, no. And then I, I turned it back. I looked and I saw a recession. It was quite a trip. It was quite a trip. Yes. That, that sounds like a trip indeed. I think, um, yeah, that would really put you in a different headspace <laughs> than what you get. Um, this is a really interesting movie conceptually because, um, as Kirk was kind of saying, like it is based on it's based on a nonfiction book about somebody who went through this. Like basically, they lived in a mining town, they lost everything whenever jobs were lost, and then like took on this life of nomads. But what's really really interesting is Francis McDormand and um, David Stratham are like the only real actors in this movie <laughs> pretty much like the rest of them are like real nomads and stuff. Like they used primarily real people. So that makes for a really interesting feel. And I'm sure that's something that we'll talk about as we get into it. But just like knowing that going in, um, kind of tells you what you need to know about the thesis of this movie, which I think is a really, really interesting one. Yeah, it's a it's a strange blurred line between um, documentary and film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, it's it's it, it's very strange. It's very yes. Strange. <laughs> um, okay, well, with that, let's dive into it. We're gonna start with um, and the Oscar goes to Kirk. Who are you giving your Oscar to? So there are only two actors uh, in this movie. <laughs> so. There might be some little, little, you know, people sprinkled in, um, but the, the big one obviously has to go to, uh, Miss Frances McDormand. 
Um, I am a longtime advocate, not against Frances, <laughs> but just like, meh, you know, because she, she constantly. She's, you think she's overrated. Is that, is that basically it? That's a great way to put it. Okay. She's, I believe she's overrated. I, and we're going to lose all of our listeners because I said that. And I apologize. <laughs> I'll make up <laughs> take, for it. Thank you. I, I make, I take full responsibility <laughs> for it. Um, but I do agree that she played a very different note in this film, uh, which I was very happy to see. I have difficulty watching, like I can watch all sorts of genres of film, including films of hopelessness, including films of uh, subcultures, which this very much is. It's a subculture. And uh, I was very much going into this movie thinking, man, I'm going to fall asleep, which I did, and (laughs) twice, and... I still found myself okay with Frances McDormand's performance. Um, So it could be because it is based on a true story, which is the era we're in. We're past, mostly past the reboot stage, but I think Frances did something a little bit different, uh, tapped into a different part of herself because she was working with other real people versus actors. So she didn't have to put on her actory face. She didn't have to, um, you know, play her regular tricks. She really had to uh, come at this at a completely different angle. So she's got to win for me in this one. Yeah, I think that's those are all good points. And I'm going with Frances McDormand as well. I am uh, a longtime Frances McDormand uh, fan. I think she's fantastic. I, th- I do think I've said it, I think, on this podcast, probably that like her winning the Academy Award for three billboards was shocking to me because I felt like it was the most typecast she has ever been. And so for her to like, still a good performance, but very much like right in her core comfort zone, like not a transformative performance, like very much what we've seen her do. Um, I think she's had better performances than that one and have not, has not gotten the acclaim. I think this performance was really good. I think for a lot of the reasons that you said it was very good. And then I think, just another layer to it. I think the fact that it was like basically her and Chloe Zhao, the director working this thing, it just led to a really intimate, almost method type performance from, uh, from Francis McDormand because she's interacting with these real nomads. You know, she's, she was on the set sleeping in the van overnight every once in a while, like driving across the country. They filmed it in seven different States. Like, they were living a nomadic lifestyle and Francis McDormand really leaned right into it. But I think also um, among many other things, this movie is about the human experience. And so I think that uh, what Francis really captured was humanity, um, which is it's, it's slight and it's, it's um, you know, you, you can't really quantify it, but it's, it was there and she did a brilliant job and, and she wasn't like, what you would expect, I guess. In a lot of ways, this whole movie was not what you would expect. And she was a really lovable character and one that we'll get into kind of like the substance of this movie a little bit later, I'm sure, but I don't think it would have worked without this performance being as good as it was. So it mm. um, has to go to Frances McDormand. Excellent, excellent. All right, scene stealer. So my scene stealer, this one takes on a different... Uh, experience for me because again two actors two <laughs> actors in the entire film um francis mcdormand and uh your boy oh what's his name i can't remember for the life david of me. Stratham. 
Thank Straith, you, Stratham. Mr. David Stratham. I, I, don't, I, I struggle with that last name, Stratham. That's how I say it. I don't know if that's correct or not. Yeah, yeah. You know, he's his claim to fame, he was in L.A. Confidential. You know oh, him, he's... I love um, L.A. Confidential. Oh, my yeah. gosh. Such a he's, good movie. In Lincoln, he's in Good Night and Good Luck. That's a big one for him. Um, he's great. He's he's fantastic. But I didn't choose him. Okay, he's the other actor. I didn't choose him. There is a moment uh, near the end of this film where two, where um, Francis McDormand and this man, who is a real man, I don't know his name, but they they don't even really have that much time together in this film. But they share uh, just a, a brief moment in time together, and they're parting ways at, at this moment. And this dude seemingly is like my favorite part of this film <laughs> and he absolutely captured my attention 100 percent this is a movie where where you can turn it on and you can kind of get lost in it you can kind of get um it's a little delirious because it's very there's long takes uh, in the film and there is uh, kind of hypnotic music behind it all and this guy he's got long white hair um, uh, for a lack of a better, uh, description, he looks like Santa Claus, but he is a, he's a normal man and he gives this incredible parting speech. I just want to meet him and give him a hug because I feel like my life has changed from meeting, from seeing him. I want to meet him. <laughs> so that guy, he doesn't have a name as far as I understand, but I want to, I want to give it out he to him. He doesn't have a name. I mean, I'm sure he has a name in real life, but I couldn't. Are you talking about the one that she read the poem to? No, it's an older man. Right smack dab, 15 minutes left in the film. Is it Bob? Maybe. He's the guy who runs the, like, court site. Um, is he talking to her about, uh, like, his son? Yes. That's Bob. Bob. That's Bob, Bob Wells. Shout out Bob Wells. Yeah. You the man. You it, the man. Yeah, and he is, like... He is like the real guy um, who does this like nomad retreat in court, like what they call the courtside yacht club or something like that. It's just like all these nomads gather and kind of like talk about their group experience. Yeah, dude, that moment is like the most emotional in the film and the film ha has a pretty deep emotional setting <laughs> in general throughout. So yeah, um, yeah, I totally agree. That's a great one. My scene stealer is Linda May, <laughs> so, <laughs> who uh, she is. So going into this film, I had no idea these people weren't actors. No idea. I was like, holy cow, they got some really authentic people to do this movie. This is incredible casting. Um, and Linda May is like Francis McDormand's sort of like closest friend within the nomad community. She like, works with her at Amazon when they're doing like the, the little gig there. She like invites her down to court site and their connection just felt very real. It, it, it just really did. And I thought that Linda, you know, is a real person, but her ability to tell her story in, in the film in, in a, in a very vulnerable and real way. I thought she did great. I, I really, I don't have much more to say beyond that, but I thought it was a beautiful thing. Linda reminds me of uh, an employee I once had uh, at a at a different job. Her name was Vicky. I mean, they might as well be sisters. They they look <laughs> the same. They kind of talk the same. They're they're just there's this innate sweetness to them, and that's who I thought of the entire time watching her. Yeah, that's a that's it's it's a, such an interesting experience to have real people in this movie, uh, and I think 
So Chloe Zhao is new on the scene. She's a, you know, she's, you know, fresh out of film school. She's clearly a very good director based on this film and has not directed much, but she is directing the MCU's Eternals film. And she gave a pitch to Marvel that Kevin Feige called the best pitch that he's ever seen in his life. And in a recent interview, Kumail Nanjiani, who's in that movie, um, was asked about the experience with, with Chloe Zhao. And he talked about how she was like, I picked you because you are this character. Like I, I picked you because your personality type is closest to this character. And so I just want you to really be yourself, which is a really interesting thing. And sort of like contrary to what we think of as like a good acting performance is someone like transforming into somebody else. But in a lot of ways, you can get a really honest, good acting performance, not by typecasting someone, but by finding a personality that matches with them. And so in this movie, she didn't overcomplicate it. She was like, we need nomads. The only people who can do that are nomads. Like, let's just go find these people and see if we yeah. can make it work. And I'm sure they took tons of scenes and, you know, worked with whatever footage was best, but it she pulled it off with that. So it's... It's really, really interesting. Yes. Um, okay, let's move on to Showstopper. Kirk, what you got? I have to say, I, I didn't really um, put my finger on it till about halfway through it. Okay. I said just a moment ago that the music was hypnotic, and it really came down to the sound mixing and the sound editing. There is a sequence in this movie where there's like six different layered um, kind of threads of music happening at the same time. There's like someone playing a guitar. There is the through line uh, of the uh, of the piano, uh, but then there's like some like wind in the background. And but the wind sounds musical. It doesn't just sound like wind. And the way it was constructed, it was it was like uh, Beethoven because it wasn't just like thrown together to create dissonance. It was very carefully crafted, and it made me listen even more carefully throughout the rest of the film. And it was very striking uh, to, because when, when you think about it, like a texture of a film, right? You're, you're, you're thinking about, okay, what can I see? But then you're thinking, what can I feel with my eyeballs? That's very super meta, right? <laughs> so, and this is, this, this music plays its own character. Uh, and I think it was meant to be, to be put center stage at that moment of the film. So that way you could let it carry you the rest of the way. So very great timing and very exciting uh, at the same time. I'm glad you mentioned the sound. Cause that's not my showstopper. You know that I nerd out about that stuff, but there is like, in almost every scene of this movie, there is that like background outdoor sound. It's not like, it's like very real. Like when they're in the desert and stuff like that, it sounds almost like extraterrestrial. You yeah. know, it's like this white noise, but it gives, it gives it a texture. It gives it a life and it is pretty noticeable, but so well done. It's, it's weird. Like you just, you normally hear stuff like that cut out of movies, but it's like a constant tone throughout this movie that gives it, you know, that along with the natural lighting that they use, it's just like, wow, it really is. It's, it's, it's very cool. Um, so I'm glad you called that out. Um, my showstopper, I'm going with just the thesis of this film, which I think is like both the most simple thing and the most bold, ambitious thing in the world at the same time. 
And that's what makes it brilliant. Like on one level you could watch it and be like, okay, this is a portrait pick about nomad culture, period. <laughs> End of statement. On the other hand, it's like, holy cow, this is such an ambitious film project. This shouldn't even work, but it does. It's subversive in so many different ways. It's like we just talked about. It's it's a feature film, but it's also like kind of a documentary. It's based on nonfiction, but it also like kind of is set in the real world. Um, it is talking about, you know, nomads in this culture that seems very foreign to people, but but making them so human and and showing them of like what their experiences are and things like that and sort of like turning that narrative on its head and flipping that conception. Then you've got like all the different themes that we're talking about here. This movie is I think overall about loss and how people deal with loss, but it's also about capitalism. It's also about uh, the human experience. It's also about these like little fleeting moments that, that make up our lives and how important that is. It's about being in touch with nature. It's about being in touch with, you know, spirituality. Like it is tackling a ton of different stuff that most people could never dream of tackling in a film, but it does so in a way that's like really effortless and totally natural. And that's the key is that it doesn't feel ambitious to be tackling all these things because that's what our life is. Like it is crazy and existential and there's all these different forces going on. And Chloe Zhao, you know, as a director just totally captured all that. And it's, it's, uh, it's breathtaking. I thought it was, re- I thought it was really well done. All right. Beautiful. Next director shoes. Kirk, what would you, what notes would you give to our uh, new director on the scene? Yeah, she definitely has, you know, teamed up with whatever cinematographer she had. Definitely has uh, quite the eye for for what how to tell a story. So we get we got these big, big sweeping landscapes of the world, um, which makes makes me really excited about the Eternals for whatever world building that yes. she's already doing or completed. Who knows if, what their filming schedule is. But the issue that I have uh, that I want to point out is probably a completely unintentional issue um, with all of the, the the scope of capitalism, with all of the scope of this is a subculture. Not everyone does what these people do. It almost This film almost makes these people seem unintelligent. Uh, it's very clear that they're outcasts because it's, they're, they're not, they don't live a, a normal quote unquote normal life that the rest of us live, um, which they don't point anything out badly with that, but the way that they kind of follow them with their, um, uh, as they put them up against one another, right? So you have people who are coming, uh, who are ordering things from Amazon and the people who work at Amazon. And then you, uh, these people who are good intentioned and they wanted to depart from the norm, from normal society for a reason, it makes them look like they made a bad choice at times mm. throughout the film. Mm. And I thought that that was uh, completely unintentional, but it was uh, magnified in the scenes that weren't out uh, in the vans and the RVs when these people are living off the land. So I don't know really how else to 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 put it because uh, I don't think the di- I don't believe the director has any ill will towards these people or thinks less of these people, but putting them up against it, I, I don't know if there was a better way to do it or if that's just how it is because we live like that 
we think like, oh man, ah, it's, it's a weird thing because. Yeah. Like it exposes our biases in a way. Um, yeah. But, but in doing so sort of hurts the effect because yeah. you're supposed to be like making contact with these people on like a emotional level. But when they put them in our context, like people who are in this society working the nine to five, doing the things that you're supposed to do, like it makes them, it, t- it takes them back to that like subgroup, I guess. Is kind of right. Cause like, I wouldn't want to be a nomad. I can't do that. I can't do what they do. Um, but I have no qualms if they want to do that, like go for it. Like you're uh, obviously the, the nomads that we encounter in this film are very good at what they do, very good at how they live their lives. Yep. So when, when I saw there are moments in here and it's not all the time, but there are moments in here, um, things that, that, uh, the, the nomads, uh, say where it's like, wow, oh, that made them kind of look unintelligent, but I don't think that they're unintelligent. It, right. it just like, it was a bad captured moment for, for that. It's it's an unintentional thing and I, I wish it could be, I wish it could have been cleaned up. It's, it's a really interesting point. I would love to get a few minutes with Chloe Zhao to ask her about it because I feel like the obvious way to avoid that cognitive dissonance is just to keep them out of that real world setting altogether in the movie. But I think she f- may have felt like she had to do it in order to complete the challenging of you know, to complete the case that she's trying to present, but in doing so may have heard it. It's, it is interesting. It's a really good call out. Um, for me, uh, my director's shoes, I would just say, so this movie I talked about, it has like a really deep um, emotional threshold. <laughs> like it's, it is, uh, it's heavy in, in a lot of ways, but it's not dynamic. You know, there's no contrast. You're just kind of like, so let's say this is like middle and like this is excitement and this is like, oh man, that's tough. You're like here the whole time, right? And there's not really a true climax. Again, it's like subversive. So like not conforming to the norms of like a regular film. But because of that, there's just like, you know, you're here the whole time for two hours. And so it it makes it leaves you wanting a little bit for there to be like a punch, like something to really take it home. Maybe it's that scene with Bob Wells that you talked about, you know, good scene, but is it, is it enough to, to really, I don't know, like because of that, this movie's not rewatchable. Would you say this movie's rewatchable? I don't think it is. Um, no. I don't think a movie has to be rewatchable to be good, but I think it is one of the components that I score movies on is rewatchability. This movie has zero rewatchability um, because it doesn't take you on a, emotional journey it kind of takes you on it takes you through something and it's deeply emotional but you're here you know you're just kind of like at that same level you're not like up and down and whoa there's just not that contrast so um i don't think it hurts the effect of the movie too much but i do think it i do think it hurts a bit like how you view this movie in comparison to other great films uh other great even like portrait pics that are of, of similar ilk. Um, it, it does kind of hurt it in that sense because there's even in those movies where it's like really simple portrait pick type movie, there's always like one incident that's like, Oh man, you know, that's what brought the theme of the movie home or that's what brought things into focus. That was the thing that got my heart pounding, whatever. And this movie didn't really have anything like that. So for better or worse, it just, it just didn't. 
Um, and maybe if it did, it would feel artificial. So it's, it's one of those things where it's like you live by it, you die by it. It just, it kind of is what it is. But anyway, that's my director's shoes. Let's move into final thoughts and scores. Again, this is a movie that is, you know, winning a lot of awards at these award (laughs) shows. So what do, what do we think? And, uh, let's, let's get our opinions. Were you were you baiting me because you know the no, I'm just, my disdain for <laughs> not at all. All I'm saying is that not at all. I'm I'm I am appalled that you would even insinuate such a thing. But no, what I'm saying is we review movies, and that is a subjective thing. So let's find out what we think and uh, see see where where we land. It's very subjective. It's very subjective. Even some of the the greatest films. Uh, people hate them. Um, I don't hate this movie. Uh, it's just not my cup of tea. Um, but that doesn't mean it's not your cup of tea. I do. I am always marveled by the immense love of any project Frances McDormand is on. She must be. Um, she's obviously a very eccentric per eccentric person, as per her best best actor actress winning speech. So she must also just be like one of the most just gracious, kind, loving people because people flock to her and they rave about her, um, any project she's behind. So I don't see that side of her. If she wants to come and change my mind in person, so be it. And, uh, we will get all the followers for our podcast. I will capitalize on that. I would say this movie did not do it for me. Um, but it was an incredible feat. All the points that it does get are strictly based on technical wonderfulness and it's not enough 5.7 kernels out of 10 holy smokes (laughs) well i can say that this will be our biggest point discrepancy probably ever and so that's that's good it's it's breaking barriers here um yeah i mean i would say that this movie is it's incredibly ambitious i think it takes on a lot as i said it's also but does so in a way that's natural and feels feels right. Um, again, I think the the one knock I have against it is just like I don't really go on an emotional journey in this movie so much as I'm like viewing things through a different perspective and experiencing the emotions that come along with that, but I'm not like punched in the gut with anything or anything in, in that sort of way. So... Um, I see why this movie's getting the love that it's getting. I think it is technically masterful. I thought the lighting and production design, something we didn't really talk much about, um, was outrageously good. I thought like the way that they got natural lighting captured, just insane. And like the colors they were able to create in this movie, like colors that appear in nature, just mind blowing. So um, for me, it's a 9.4 out of 10, which I think, I don't think I gave any movie a 9.4 in 2020 except for maybe Soul. I might have given a higher score. So I would not be surprised if this movie won Best Picture. Granted, like, this is a year where it's going to be a little bit nerfed. Um, But I don't think that that Mm -hmm. takes away from this movie. Listen, Chloe Zhao's voice is one that I want to continue to hear because it it is different and it is cool and, like, her getting into mainstream filmmaking with the MCU is going to be really cool. And I'm excited to see what she's got because like you said, Kirk, she's got an eye um, like no other. And I think she's got a really great voice too. So we will see lots to come from her. Uh, I I think we'll be hearing that name for a while. Excellent. All right. That's a big one. 
That is. It's this is Nomad Land, and it's streaming now on Hulu. Um, give it a watch. Let us know where you think. I mean, Kirk and I are pretty split on this movie, which is actually a good bit of fun. So um, let's get in on the on the conversation. Let's hear what you guys have to say about this movie because I think it is a very very interesting one to study. All right. Are update you ready? for you real quick. Did we, we get the title? Because I just updated. What? Did we get the title for Spider-Man 3? Did we? I don't know. Unless people are guessing. Can you take a look real quick? Let me, me take a look. I'm watching Fallon right now. Tom Holland is on. He just showed everybody that he's not wearing pants like in that photo that he <laughs> took where he was like COVID press is like this. Um, let me see. Sorry, this is bad radio. Um, what are people saying, Kirk? I don't, I don't see anything. Unless it was speculation, someone wrote, someone wrote on here, but I don't know if it's live. But it says Spider-Man Three coming back home, which that's also pretty a pretty decent title. But I don't know if that it's real because it doesn't have like any responses. So let the speculation continue. Tom Holland. Let's just talk about Tom Holland. He looks like a tiny teenager boy in Spider-Man. Um, I'm sorry, in in uh, Captain America: Civil War. Your boy looks like a grown man now. It's kind of crazy. He does. It, it's. I mean, obviously, he's, he's looking very dapper on the Tonight Show right now. He's wearing a black blazer with a with a black T-shirt underneath. He's pretty swagadelic. Also, he's got the Nathan Drake haircut from Uncharted, so he's gonna be <laughs> rocking that in Spider-Man. Um, so that's. That's exciting. I'll continue to watch. There has not been a title announced yet. I did see somebody with some insider knowledge on the situation say, prepare to be disappointed by The Tonight Show, which is like kind of cryptic, maybe saying like, we're not going to get a title. I don't know. They're clearly talking about Spider-Man right now. Jimmy Fallon just went like this. He just like did the web thing. (laughs) So I know they're talking about it. So I'll keep my eyes on the screen. So if I'm looking down, that's what's going on but let's uh let's play this game kirk tell me when you want me to start the music you can either tee up the game first and then i can start the music or we can start it now let me tee it up it's it's a fun one this game is called no band land and when i came into this uh week i said you know i really want to have a play on nomad land so first i came up with uh no dad land i couldn't come (laughs) up so every disney movie (laughs) like no dad or no mom land yeah, I was like, how do I make Cameron guess this? So I scrapped that. I had one of the thought. I said, you mad, Land? Uh, <laughs> you mad, bro? <laughs> which would have been a, a series of great fights in film. But okay. uh, I just couldn't do that one either. So this one I landed on, no band, Land, because you are very good at music and bands. Oh the concept of this game is that I'm going to read the IMDb synopsis from from a film. Okay. So that should be indicative of what film it is. But you have to guess the big song from that movie. Oh, what band Lord. sang it? Oh, Lord. <laughs> so, for instance, this and, and it must be a band, right? So, for instance, if I said, uh, if I read to you, um, let me see. One second, I got one here. Okay. If I read to you this synopsis, this is a test for all of our listeners. A young rapper struggling with every aspect of his life wants to make it big, but his friends and foes make this odyssey of rap harder than it may seem. Yeah. Eminem. What movie do you think it is? Eminem, Eight Mile. There you go. So then the big song is Lose Yourself. Lose Yourself. So the band is? Eminem. 
Eminem, but Eminem is not a band. So you must, everything that you do from this point forward is going to be a band, a band. only. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Yeah. That's good. And so know. you can talk me through your process. You can get me, you can tell me the movie that you think it is. Okay. Tell me the song that you think okay. it is. And then give me the band names because this is no band land. Are you ready? I am terrified. Let me, let me fire <laughs> up the music. Let's go. All right, let's go. All right, here we go. The first one. Synopsis. With help from his friends, a Memphis pimp in a midlife crisis attempts to become a successful hip-hop MC. Memphis pimp. Hold on. Can you repeat the synopsis? With help from his friends, a Memphis pimp in a midlife crisis attempts to become a successful hip-hop MC. Is this hustle and flow? It is. Okay. Um, okay, okay. Three six mafia? Correct! Yes! Okay, <laughs> I was like, I know this one. <laughs> very good job, very good job. Oscar Oscar winning song. It's yes. hard out here for a pimp. Three six mafia. One of the greatest moments in Oscar history seeing Three Six Mafia rush the stage. It was amazing. amazing. Yeah, <laughs> iconic. All right, here we go. This one's a little bit tougher. Anxious about his future after high school, a 19-year-old from Italian-American from Brooklyn tries to escape the harsh reality of his bleak family life by dominating the dance floor at the local disco. Italian-American, Brooklyn, dance floor, disco. Think of those words as you figure out the movie. Italian-American, Brooklyn, dance floor, disco. Um... Is it Jersey Boys? It is not Jersey Boys, oh, but that is a good it. guess. Um, Italian American. I don't know. That's all right. That's all right. This one is "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. Oh, from Saturday Night Fever. Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. <laughs> wow. That. It's so funny. Like when you hear the synopsis, it can totally throw you. Yes, you like cl- well, you cling on to certain words, and you're like, "What movie is that?" I don't know. It's interesting. You're, good, good and you're that. indexing every movie you've ever seen or have not. <laughs> and I have not seen Saturday Night Fever. I still would have known that because I know what the movie's about. But um, good one. All right, next. Excellent. When bitten by a genetically modified spider, a nerdy, shy, and awkward high school student gains spider-like abilities that he eventually must use to fight evil as a superhero after tragedy befalls his family. Oh. This is, is this the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man? It is. Creed. Right? Close. No, 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 not Creed. Um, Do you know the song? Isn't that the, the hero can save us. They're not going to stay here. Is that not Creed? It is not Creed. It's by someone much more hated. Oh, Nickelback. (laughs) That is correct. Yeah, Nickelback. Man, that song. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that song is 2003 personified man it's just like it you can taste it you can taste the year with that song man i for some reason <laughs> in my adolescence i thought that was the coolest song oh, ever same. dude i listen and everybody should have their hand up on this everybody loved nickelback for a bit everybody did everybody did there's they not did. there's not a single one among us who didn't it's just a fact of life and then we all realized like 
we like all went through a weird preteen phase together and we're like that was weird that kind of sucked <laughs> <laughs> excellent excellent i got a few more you ready you ready I, am. I was born ready this next one is five high school students meet in saturday detention and discover how they have a lot more in common than they thought so it's the breakfast club bingo and it's don't you forget <laughs> about me um don't, 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 don't. Um, but who sings it? I, uh, Some 80s band, I'm sure. Correct, <laughs> correct. <laughs> what? Um, let's see. Hmm. I don't know. I'm blanking. Would you like a hint? Yeah, I would. It rhymes with Dimple Hines. Stupid hint. Simple minds? That is correct. (laughs) I would have never known that. Like, it's one of those things, like, I know the song. I have no idea the band. Yeah. I thought you might know it because you know so many bands. So I I, I snuck that one in there. That's good. I I did know the movie and I knew the song. So I feel like that's close. All right. I got one more for you to close out. No band land. This one, I think you can get. I, th- I think you can get a special bond develops between plus-sized and inflatable robot Baymax and prodigy Hiro Hamada, who together team up with a group of friends to form a band of high-tech heroes. So it's Big Hero Six, mm-hmm. and it's that we can be mortals, emo. Right? Is that one? That's right. That's right. Um, Fallout Boy. Correct. Yes. There was a rumor Very floating nice. around about Big Hero 6 yesterday that some Disney account leaked. They were like, Big Hero 6 characters are going to be introduced in the MCU. And I was like, there is just no way. Like, I know that Big Hero 6 is technically a Marvel comic, but so help me, if Baymax shows up in Phase 5 of the MCU, I am out. <laughs> like, I am so out. Even though that movie is good and I like those characters, I'm just like, there is no way, right? Yeah, I wonder if uh, Baymax actually I heard is going to appear in WandaVision episode nine. That's what oh, I heard. Yeah, Baymax. He's he's the actor. He's the one that like <laughs> Paul Bettany has been teasing us about the whole time. <laughs> oh, that is correct. Man. That is correct. That's awesome. Well, thanks for the great game, Kirk. I I appreciate it. I feel like you've really honed your game skills now to the point where like you know how bad I am at this to where you can pick some that you'll know I'll get and then a few that I won't. So it makes it feel really balanced. I appreciate that. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to come in here and you edit out all the time that we spent on a game, you know, that's it's just happened no fun. Before. It's, ha- <laughs> it's happened I remember, before. <laughs> I remember one game. I don't remember the concept of the game in any way, shape or form, but I remember it just tanked <laughs> and you were so mad. I was mad. I was like, we're cutting this game. We're out. I went, <laughs> I went full like Bill O'Reilly. I was like, we'll do it live. I just, I, it was bad. It was really bad. And basically, um, I never want to relive that moment. So I'm going to make sure. You live in constant fear of me. No, <laughs> listen, I like, I am not a scary person. I was in a bad headspace that night and I sucked at that game. I was, I was all time terrible at that game. I don't even know why. I hey, don't man. remember what the game was, but Insane. I remember being like, I should know the answers to these questions and I didn't. So, you know, it's just, you learn, you live and you learn. So that's right. We are. <laughs> um, that's our show. We kept it pretty short, pretty concise this week because mm-hmm. again, we're working on a short week. Go check out Nomadland on Hulu. Seriously. I want you guys to watch it. It's like an hour 40. Check it out. 
don't do it when you're tired because as Kirk said, it is like pretty, it could get you to sleep. Whether, you know, I think it's a really good movie and I still think it could put you to sleep. Um, so don't do that. If you're watching WandaVision, first of all, scratch that. If you're not watching WandaVision, get it together, okay? Look at me. <laughs> you need to be watching this show. It's like, it's all over social media. It's, you gotta, everybody's doing it, okay? I, like, I don't wanna be that guy, but everybody's doing it. You gotta watch it. And seriously, if you're even remotely interested in Marvel, this is a great show to watch. It's really cool. And we are having a ton of fun with it on our weekly video series um, called Spilled Popcorn. We just dropped the new episode today, which has our recap of episode seven. There are only, Kirk, two episodes left of WandaVision. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. There, and yet so much is going to happen. You know, we know that. We know that. So as you're watching it, check in with us. That's, that series is on YouTube. We have speculation. We have analysis. We've been right about a few things, okay? Just to pat ourselves on the back there. We've been right a couple times, so we're not just blowing smoke. Oh, yeah. Um, and we have some bold predictions heading into episode eight, so be sure to watch WandaVision on Friday and then check in to see if uh, we got anything right. Um, so it should be a lot of fun. Also, if you're not following us, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, on our website, popcorn the number four breakfast.com. We appreciate you guys listening. We also appreciate our executive producer, Mr. Ryan Spriggs, as well as our wonderful band, Rhetoric who created our original theme music, which you're about to hear right now. Catch them on Spotify and Apple Music. We will see you next week. Bye. Bye.